0: On today's episode, we have the first openly lesbian bishop in the Evangelical Lutheran Church, Brenda Boss. Join us for a conversation about how her sexual identity shaped her unique faith journey and prepared her for leadership within the queer community. Together, we talk about the nature of God, the internalization of homophobia, and the gender binary, and how to ratchet up your self-assessment. Y'all, you know I love a conversation about sex and philosophy and the nature of God, so this is just, to the T, the thing that I love talking about. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I think there's a lot of beautiful things to learn from Brenda and her journey and her perspective on God. So, tune in. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: Or you'll find out that after about 22 minutes... We got nothing less to talk about. You'll be like, wow, that's super disappointing.
0: Okay. I would be uh. very shocked, actually, given what I was told, if that was true. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> if it was from Taylor, she told you that I talked nonstop. I mean, I've decided to give Taylor full personality, and she's just like, wow. Yeah. How does she okay. show up in your church space? Just kind of curious from what I know of her, you know? <laughs> So she was a little afraid to show me Glitter Money, uh, Spotify, and then I've only seen, I haven't listened to a whole lot of the music, but I've seen some pictures, and I was like, I'm so happy right now. And the other day, she showed up in these super sharp gold glitter nails, and I I was like, hey, nice nails. And she's like, oh, yeah, thanks. And I thought, oh, man, I just love that there's just a little hint of a different life, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, she shows up as that, like, super cute femme- nice girl next door awesome yeah it's so
0: awesome yeah, yeah I was shocked that when she said she was working at a church space so I just I had to ask you know yeah given what we talked about in the podcast too, as well <laughs>
1: I know and I haven't listened to that podcast yet and I was like I want to I listened to a couple for a few minutes just to sort of get the tone you know and uh and I thought all right yeah I'm totally on board what was your sense of the podcast just kind of curious I listened to one of the sex worker ones Mm -hmm. and, uh, what I, and I'm saying one because I'm assuming that you've actually spoken to several sex workers. But what I liked about it was the thoughtfulness around the person, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's the idea in my mind about talking to people in different experiences is that you have an assumption of what a sex worker thinks in the world and they're like, Oh. And so I loved that part, which made me very hopeful about our conversation. Mm. And then I listened to only the beginning and I really wanted to listen to more of a conversation with a Christian. Is it Christians in Action? I don't remember oh, what the,
0: the, about abortion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so we had not, I didn't get real far into it, but you and she were talking about your evangelical background. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about that podcast is I couldn't tell when you were talking and when she was. <sighs> And that was good because yeah. I was like, "All right, these are women who've both had this experience." And um, and uh, you know, I just referred to you as a woman. I should find out if that's uh, I you am. Identify. Yes, but, yeah. I am. She, her. But I thought that was super interesting. That, and I thought, boy, I really want to hear this conversation because mm-hmm. I can relate. And and I thought maybe we would talk about some of that today. But yeah, I think why I was happy to be here was. I expected that we could have a smart, thoughtful, pushing boundaries kind of conversation yes. that I wasn't going to be like, oh, man, what have I done? I'm in this crazy space that I don't
0: want to be in. I'm like, no, it's going to be great. So Amazing. that That is yeah. so thoughtful. I wasn't sure how deep you were going to get into that level of consciousness about looking into it. So I really appreciate that you actually – had thought about this and it resonate with you. That is a beautiful compliment that I hope I hold on to. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, Jesus got in
1: trouble for hanging out with sex workers and, you know, and all these types of people. And so there's a part of me that goes, huh, is anybody going to be freaked out that I'm on the Modern, Modern Anarchy pod- podcast? And I'm like, also, where, who needs to hear good news? But But people who are in the margins and pushing boundaries and getting beat up for it, literally or figuratively. Mm -hmm. And so, like, why not? Exactly. You know, why not be in these spaces? And I'm like, oh, my God, I could defend that all day long, you know.
0: That's what you're here for. Let's hear it. That's why I'm here. Exactly. I just let the conversations flow in so like, yeah, we can start yeah. talking about it whenever because it's fascinating to me like as someone who made the podcast, the just the views that I get are higher even on the spiritual trauma episode Yeah, and just how many people in my personal life who I've talked to who it's frequently the same narrative of like I was in this evangelical church space and it was horrible and definitively turned me away from religion for the rest of my life. Yeah. And it's crazy. That's just a common thing that when I share my experience, I get back from so many people that I don't think this concept is talked about a lot from like the post like purity culture that went through, you know, American religion and, you know, the children that were raised in that culture.
1: Yeah. So I'm a little bit older than when purity culture really exploded. And I'm so grateful for that. And yet I would think I have some of the vestiges of that Mm -hmm. it was before it was sort of formalized made crazy people wrote books and went on speaking tours you know so i was around when you didn't have sex before marriage of course it was only going to be heterosexual mission missionary position sex it was going to be very appropriate and um loving mm-hmm. uh, i mean i'm still all for you know mutually <laughs> you know mutually and uh, pleasurable but you know it was very straight and straightforward and most of my friends got married before they were 20 years old so behaving in certain ways Waiting until marriage, uh, one partner, was a little bit easier because they were 18 years old. And and wow. so I kind of thought, oh, okay, I can do that, and then didn't find anybody, probably because I had not yet come out to myself, and so any boyfriends weren't going to be life partners. And I'm grateful for that because I could have easily become somebody who made bad choices like so many people did I'm sure you have exposure to queer people from 50s, 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. 80s mm-hmm. who got into straight marriages because they yeah, had to. Exactly. And then they've got this terrible sad divorce with children and I'm so grateful that most, not all, but many queer people today can skip that step and just have the queer marriage or relationship or whatever they're going to do without having to first
0: have that fake Christian straight marriage, yeah, you know, but we gotta pull you back. there's so much there that I could tease apart from your personal story because I think that's where we can learn how you're coming from this level of passion for these topics, if you're willing to share i I don't know where it begins for you, so I none of us can unpack our our own
1: faith journey because we don't know that it's unusual. At least that's how I am in the world. We think everybody has had the same stories of Jesus. We think everybody's had the same church. We think every pastor or priest acts this way, good or bad, you know, it's terrible, but you have this idea that this must just be what Christianity is. And I'm going to speak from Christianity because I don't have another experience, but of course I think it could be true of, uh, of a Jewish person or a, Right um, Buddhism or whatever. Right. But you know, so I was raised in, of course, straight white male pastors. My denomination growing up was evangelical, um, and no female pastors, certainly no LGBTQ pastors. <sighs> I mean, and this is like sixties, seventies, right? So mm-hmm. non binary, even even homosexuals were um were not in the forefront to the to the degree that they could be. Thinking back on my childhood especially I went to a Christian school, thinking back on my childhood, there were several single people who may have been asexual, who may have been non-practicing uh, gay people. I mean, I don't I don't know. But that was sort of the way that you had to function mm-hmm. um, at that time in that Christian setting was there wasn't a place for you unless you were in a straight marriage. And so growing up, I thought that that would be what would happen to me. And I was a theater geek, and I was super Christian, and it was pretty easy to uh, behave because I was probably pretty sexually uh, repressed or at least immature, and so uh, I was not needing To explore my sexuality a whole lot. And I was in that structure that said, and you can't. Right. Right. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to be getting sexually active with anybody until marriage. No appropriate partners were coming up. Again, Thank God, because <laughs> I could have easily married a, a college boyfriend yep. or a high school boyfriend because you were supposed to
0: exactly.
1: And so that was sort of my story. And then it, right out of college, and I went to a Christian's college also, and I was super involved with a an American Baptist uh, musical outreach group with you know a lot of teenagers uh, and young adults who were out singing in prisons and and shopping malls and churches and you know, super upbeat, but then go out afterwards and witness to people. I mean, I was hardcore into all of that stuff and I was good at it and I enjoyed it. But then again, we had to kind of keep any dating, sexual behavior, all of that stuff had to be really tamped down for the group norm because we were all on a bus for, you know, two weeks, but also it was just the behavior expectation. Yeah. So, I was dating men about as much as any of my other straight girlfriends were Mm. and not being very sexually active because I was dating men that also were trying to behave by those rules. Right. You know? And so it wasn't that hard. It wasn't that hard to sort of not get into sexual experimentation or confusion or any of that stuff. It wasn't that bad. And then when I was 24... Uh, I was working in television production at that point. I had gone to school for that, and I was now working in Hollywood and met a woman and was super into her. And she was lesbian and in a lesbian relationship, and I was very drawn to her. And she became my first sexual partner. And it was this fascinating time where I thought, well, I was mature enough that I was making a Good positive choice. And I always felt good about being with her. And we were, you know, very in love and committed and happy and completely closeted. Mm. And the closeting was because I thought, I can't make sense of this with my Christian faith. Yeah. We were together for about a year. And then I met a man who I was interested in. And I literally thought, oh, thank God. I can get out of this lesbian relationship because I can't figure this out and I can't make it work. And she was also, she was not a person of faith, but she was willing to be closeted. And it was a time socially where many of us still were closeted, whether or not it was because of your faith. And so we broke up and I dated men for a while, five, six years. And uh, now I'm in my mid-20s. And was about as successful dating men as any of my straight friends were, right? I mean, like, some of us were getting married. Some of us were just dating around. Uh, I was still in fairly monogamous, well, it's completely monogamous, you know, very sweet little dating. And then that woman came back into my life. And, right? And (sighs) I'm now 32 years old. And she walks in and I thought, oh, no. (sighs) Like, Wow. And now I was, like I said, I was in my thirties and I thought, huh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have to explore this. Yeah. I mean, I'm in love with her. I'm still in love with her. And we were together for 12 years and came out and wow. were, you know, uh, as, as, you know, we, we never were legally married, but we were domestic partners and bought mm-hmm. houses and all kinds of stuff. And. I had not been in a faith community for all of that time. Mm -hmm. I mean, from 24 to 32, not in a faith community, hardly at all, because I couldn't quite make sense of it. I mean, I may have dabbled in it, but there was sort of nothing. So she and I get together. I come out to my parents who are divorced. So it's two coming out stories. And that doesn't go real well. And my parents really struggled with that. That's now over 20 years ago. And they both did. So much work and and both have found their way. My father is still a Southern Baptist now he's Presbyterian, but you know he's always been in very conservative spaces and struggles because he loves me and he believes that God loves me, but he can't make sense yeah. of how it works and oh my god i it just breaks my heart because he has struggled so mm. hard and occasionally gets really good advice on. It's give it up to God, let God take care of it, and occasionally is told, you better pray for your daughter, she's going to hell. And Mm -hmm. it just kills him. Wow. So he has done a lot of work, and in the last maybe year and a half, has really found peace. And when I was elected bishop, he said to me, I get it in a way. Not so much the sexuality, but the, I understand that God is using you in your position, and he could understand it in a way that he'd never had before. Mm. My mother did a lot of work probably 15 years ago, 18 years ago, maybe, and really kind of figured as a Christian, I need to figure out how to love her and love her partner. And uh, it's not quite that simple, right? But um, but she's she's really, really wanted to make it work and integrate it. Neither of them are members of PFLAG or anything like that. You know, They're never going to be those people, but they've found their way. So uh, I was with that first partner for 12 years, and our relationship ended, and then I met my current wife, and we've been together for uh, about 13 years at this point. And the end of my first marriage, or my first relationship, and the beginning of the second one, many, many, many factors, but also I had decided to go to seminary at the end of my first relationship, and that's a whole other story, which I'm happy to tell, but that was super hard for my first partner of course right she thought she was she thought she was with a person that was working in television even when i started to be interested in getting into ministry she was like that's cool but didn't realize that it was like life changing right and so it was it was again there were many factors mm-hmm. for the end of that relationship but me moving into wanting to be a pastor was a surprise and uh, you know totally fair i mean i think she would have been willing to work it out but I mean it just blew us sideways. Uh, many more factors than that, but that piece of me moving into that part of my religious vocation mattered.
0: Of course it did. Of course. Yeah. Well, first I want to say thank you for sharing. Mhm. I'm sure I don't know what kind of vulnerability that you usually share if this is something you just freely share to everybody. Okay, yes, it I guess it's probably part of your story of coming mm-hmm. to your relationship. But I just want to say thank you for sharing that all with me. There's a lot there I want to talk about and I've been like taking fun little notes over here. I saw that. Yeah, Yeah, because otherwise I feel like you miss all the key details and there's just so much there that I want to talk about and learn more and probe further. And it just – even before we do that, it makes me so excited to have you here in this space because I think that even as someone who's not religious, there are so many people that are going to find – a home in your story and the truth that you have, that this could really be something that's very healing for a lot of people.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I really want to say that um, when I came out to myself and then to my parents, I figured I would never find a church home ever Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. And a few things happened that affirmed that. But the miracle of my story, and I'm so grateful. I mean, it's now 20 years later. I knew that God loved me. Like even if I couldn't figure out how I'd ever be in church again, that the church was going to hate me, I knew that God loved me. And I don't know if that's just my parents did such a beautiful job of assuring me of that, but like that was never in question. Um and I think that was really a saving grace. And so I want to say to any listeners that you have, if there is a spark of hope in you, that clearly God made you this way, and why would God now dump you? I want to affirm God did make you this way, and God is crazy about you. And hold on to that, even if other Christians, other church people, other pastors, other priests can't figure it out. And so, in their own confusion or fear, they're crappy to you. Like, hold on to that spark that God put in you when you were in the womb, right? And said, I love you, because that will get you through pretty lousy stuff that might happen along the way. And that was a long process, right? I didn't come out to myself and be like, oh, I'm golden. I mean, it was many, many years before I found the community and the
0: congregation and the faith structure Mm -hmm. that would make this okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which makes me very curious, regardless of what notes I've taken, to ask you how you understand God and who God is to you.
1: Yeah, so... I think a big part of my call is to explain to people how close God is, because God is not this thing way out in the universe far away. God is as close as our breath. I think that the communion, Eucharist, you know, the bread and wine that we take during mass or during, you know, uh, church that's a reminder that God is as close as food in our hands and in our mouth and in our stomach. Like mm-hmm. God is that close all the time. So I think that God is the source of creation of beauty. Uh, sometimes I think beauty is the best, my favorite description of God, love and light. And so God created all for the delight of God, but God also created God uh, all because God wanted to be in relationship with something like God was enough and then God said, I want to love things and people. And so God created the world. And then God wishing to be in relationship with that creation continues in relationship with us. And the complicated part is, I have this fight with my wife all the time, just to you know show you what kind of <laughs> nerds we are. I love it. How active is God now? Is God That's actually... A question. Right? And we're not going to answer that one today, But but is God... I think that God is luring us to good ideas. God doesn't force us to good ideas and God weeps when we make bad choices, but I don't think that God causes terrible things to happen to us. I think the world and science and fate, I don't know, but bad things happen to us and that's not because God looked away or made it happen. Just this complicated, broken world with weather systems that cause hurricanes and pollution that causes cancer in children. You know, all of these things are in play, and God loves us and is constantly calling us toward healing and hope and communion with God and each other. So that's sort of who I think God is. And therefore, you can imagine that unbelievable, loving, benevolent presence delights in our diversity. Right. And wants us to be the whole most integrated version of ourself.
0: Yes. If we (laughs) allow the basic premise that God exists in the first place. That is true. And that's like, and then that's where I come to of like, Mm -hmm. how do you know with certainty that God exists even in the first place because this God is not a universal God that you're talking about as like a higher concept. This is a very – it has an identity. It has common features, things that are adherent Mm -hmm. to your faith. So I guess I just even asked that, like how do you know that exists? Because I kind of almost – as someone who's not religious, right, I kind of want to remove this level of conversation from this because I want it to be universal to everybody. And so then my desire right now is to push on you and even the concept of God. Yeah. Which could be the conversation or we could keep it to like levels of identity. And I am guess I'm kind of open to both and wanted to also check in with you and see how you feel about it.
1: Uh, we can definitely talk a little bit more about it. I agree with you that uh, I don't know that I would call myself an expert on it. I mean, I can certainly speak to your question. Yeah. Um, and I do think that some identity pieces and how do you make sense of God in a queer identity and all of that, um, how do you be a queer leader in the Christian world, all of that, you know, institutional Christianity and me, I think that's probably a better place for us. Yeah. But to your point, how can I say... This may sound jerky, and so I don't want to be a, a jerk. I love yeah. philosophy. I, I wanted to be a lawyer originally. Like, this is my life. Like, I want to debate. Let's go. <laughs> I think that God exists. I mean, clearly I do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But exactly. I think that God exists, and I can talk about why I think so. Yes,
0: I want to hear. God,
1: but here's the jerky part. God exists and doesn't need us. God wants sure. us, but doesn't need us. So therefore, if 90% of the planet says, we don't believe in God anymore, God says I, I can live with that. I'm not going to get defensive and pissy. I'm going to just be. Hmm. And and maybe one day your sense of beauty will an atheist has a moment where they are taken back by the beauty of a sunset and God says you're welcome. And and not hey that was me. God doesn't need the doesn't God doesn't need us to acknowledge. And so for me, I honor that a person doesn't believe in god Mm. and i'm hoping that you have or anybody has other places of transcendence
0: surely and
1: comfort and communion and in my head Mm -hmm. i go that's the sacred in you yeah sure yes if i don't if you don't wish to use the word god for that awesome because I think God is bigger than that. God's like, I'm good. You don't have to name me. And other people are going to disagree with that because they're going to say what the Bible says God wants to be praised over and over again. I'm like, yeah, but the Bible's also trying to describe a very specific way to connect with divine. Hmm. Yeah. So, but I appreciate what you're trying to say about universal. And therefore, if that whole piece of the conversation isn't helpful to what you're trying to do awesome. No problem.
0: it's just like as someone who walked away from the faith and thought about it so much and I remember I also went to a college institution and I took philosophy of religion and I literally like tried to think about all these ideas. I guess I have like this perfect opportunity to ask these deep questions of like how do you know to someone who believes so strongly that I haven't necessarily had so I want to even take it just to be like I feel like there's a level of knowing that there's the inherent reality that God might not exist always mm-hmm. because of the way that we can't necessarily prove it, and like just that sentiment alone will never resonate with me in like a religious way. At least currently, how I feel. So it's just like if there was someone who could come to me and be like, even though this makes sense, this is why I feel like I could come back to religion in some way. But like, yeah, maybe it just doesn't exist. I don't know. So, so, so no pressure. But if I get the answer right,
1: you oh could exactly, to you. right. Yeah, okay. Like, I'm
0: just making sure I understand. There's a verse about, like, people who, when they've walked so far away from the Lord, that they have, like, a veil over their eyes and they can't see it, right? And, like, I remember people always quoting that. So then it's like, do I sit here and be like, I just have such a deep veil that, you know, whatever. But, yes, this is my question. <laughs>
1: okay. So since you, you you lobbed me a softball where I you have. quoted the Bible, I'm going to quote the Bible back. So it is true that the Bible talks about a veil over people's eyes, and that's supposed to explain why some won't believe yeah so when jesus died and i know you know this answer when jesus (laughs) died the veil of the temple was torn Mm. in two the idea i think being there is always a way for that veil to be lifted there is always a way for it to be torn i think Organized religion makes a mistake when they say the only way that you will have revelation is if you turn your, your life to Jesus Christ. And I don't think that's true.
0: Yeah, it's John 3.16,
1: though. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is there is the, the John 3.16 saying God so loved the world that God gave God's only son. That whoever believed in him
0: would never die but have eternal life. So then it's like right. the believed in him peace.
1: And what I would say, and also I am the way, the truth and life. No one comes to the father but by me. Yep, I would argue that those pieces are in the Christian Bible because the Christian Bible is trying to recruit and encourage Christians. Mm. And so, yeah, that matters for us, but it's the Christian Bible. And I think this is why we've had a terrible time with Christians saying, oh, the only way to God is through Jesus, when Mm. clearly... There are many, many millions of people in the world who have a very important, beautiful, committed relationship to God that does not have Jesus. That is through Jewish scripture or the teachings of Muhammad or or yes. any any number of things, and
0: I just don't think God is that cruel. Yes, and I think this is exactly what I wanted to get at, like what your understanding of God is because if yeah. you think that those other religions do are connecting to the divine than what mainstream culture defines as god is not what you're talking about. And then th- in that that becomes significantly more universal to anybody listen to this, right? And so I would like to hear a little bit more about that of how you understand god to be.
1: Yeah, and I appreciate that and and I and I wonder what I said that made it sound like it had to be the Christian god although I did use the word Christian, which is Jesus Christ, but mm. but god in my mind you know, what's the what's the phrase? One mountain, many paths. Mm-hmm, I mean, there are mm-hmm, many, mm-hmm. many, many ways to divine. And I wouldn't even say God, right? I would say divine. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm using words like beauty or love or light or connection. Um, and so in my mind, this God that exists wanted to be in relationship with so many people that God gave us many, many, many ways to connect. Mm-hmm. And it might be, I mean, even, even if you break it down to a, uh, a congregation, let's say it's a Jewish congregation, some people are connecting most deeply to God when the Torah is being read. Some people connect most deeply to God when a prayer is being sung. Some people connect most deeply to God at a bris, and some people connect most deeply to God at uh, the, the party afterwards, right? The food afterwards. Um, are any of those more or less sacred than the other? No. God says, I got this. If you're somebody that needs to hear a story, I got one. If you need to watch a sunset, I got one. If you need to have um your child hold your finger and you say this is the most sacred thing that's ever happened to me, mm. I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. Like there's a million ways for you to connect to the divine, and I and I I'm using divine because there's not another great word for it. I mean, what it, it, existential being, uh, you know, source of all? It could be any number of of words for it. So I appreciate the push on it because I happen to come to God through the Christian path, but there are many, many, many paths. And the reason I and I, the reason I've done that is it was I was certainly born to it. Uh-huh. But the reason I've stayed is because the Jesus that I knew as a twelve year old was this nice guy that, like, you know, we've all seen the picture of Jesus holding the kid on their lap, and and um, and all the kids in Jesus' story were very well behaved, and I could relate to that. Um, the reason that I'm still a Christian is because Jesus had lunch with the sex workers and healed women who were considered disgusting and fought with leaders and got martyred. And, you know, it's, it's how how Jesus manifested in the world. Like, yeah. I want to follow that guy because I trust him because he told the truth and he suffered and he laughed. And when the crowds were pressing on him for help, he had compassion and said, I'll give you more of myself. Right. And so this is why I remain a Christian,
0: because I think Jesus is a pretty cool guy. Certainly. I mean and it's just so hypocritical the concept of Jesus hanging out with the heretics compared to what we have today with mainstream conservative culture within America, which frequently uses like these concepts of oh to protect our faith we need to cast out these other people which are sinful. Yet Jesus sat at the well with them and chatted with them and literally did not did not denounce them once. What? Ever ever <laughs> it, and like yet we have mainstream Christian culture doing that repeatedly I just have to point out the absurdity of what I was taught you know who Jesus is and frequently many of the people suffering from spiritual trauma were taught Jesus was compared to the man that you're talking about here and your yeah. concept of God oh a
1: hundred percent and and it, it makes me so angry and so sad. Because I just don't know how you read the Bible and keep having Jesus be this rule-following, judgy
0: guy. It's just not there. But Revelations, right? Like Revelations come back and it says, you know, if you don't believe, they're gonna Jesus will come back with a sickle, and there will be blood cast everywhere if you do not believe in him. Isn't it weird?
1: And I I don't have a great answer on this. Revelations makes me crazy because how do you go from a guy who is a uh, a gentle? Carpenter's son, barefoot, right? Doesn't have a place to lay his head to badass soldier on a horse with a sword. I think someone did psychedelics. I think, I think at some point, you know, I'm, I don't have any basis on this, but at some point, the early, early church went, uh oh, our guy is too much of a wimp. We better make him look like he can conquer the world. After Jesus said, Oh, I don't know, a hundred times, I'm not here to conquer the world. I'm never going to be your king. Here's a story of Jesus as the king. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And so I agree with you. I'm being a little picky-choosy. Like I like the, I like the Jesus of Mark and yeah, I don't right. like the Jesus of
0: Revelation. Yes. But the story doesn't make sense. Yeah. So then how do you listen to any of it when it's, that problematic that it doesn't make sense right because then it's like okay i mean pick choose but also i do have to ask the sacred mushroom and the cross have you heard of the theory no but go ahead okay it was just this this man who studied the um dead sea scrolls and talked about how he thought that christianity really did start from an eastern fertility cult that Mm -hmm. had roots in using psychedelics
1: (laughs) but like so it's just interesting
0: you should check it out the vatican bought the rights and like uh, banned the book for a long time Then someone re. Yeah, and it went away.
1: Well, it, but I think you're right. the 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 visions
0: of revelation are so outrageous. Like Four headed I mean, animals shouting Latin like sounds like drugs, but it, right.
1: And so, yeah. What about it? It's just I, I guess at the end of the day, we're Christians, right? We're not Paula we're not Paulines. Mm. So when you try to figure out what Christianity should be, it seems like it should be the teachings of Jesus, not just the teachings of paul and i think that like your evangelical christian tends to spend all their time in romans and, yeah you know and all these sort of really uh harsh things and if i was going to say who am i going to believe paul or jesus i got to pick jesus and i but I, you you make a good point that the revelation jesus is problematic because you know what are you going to do with that yeah yes yeah.
0: exactly yeah. I wouldn't say that's probably why I walked away from the religion. I think a lot of it would probably be the culture. Right. And so I'm yeah. just trying to sit with these concepts because I, I I, my family is still religious. My mom actually and my sister both converted to Mormonism, which is a whole nother push in an equally yeah. interesting direction. But so a lot of my background comes from mainstream Christian culture. And I always try to tell people like even the canon, how they chose the books of the Bible was decided upon by humans. And then fundamentalists always want to shout, well, you know, God was there in the room. God was there. But like we equally see times where like things fall apart and God, you know, isn't always there, um, pain in the world. And maybe it was one of those mistakes that just got passed on that God wasn't directly, you know directing at that moment but i mean obviously now we're just talking about like philosophy of religion like can god allow sin like i mean i think ultimately all of these things are why i walked away as well i used to ask my professor all the time why did god create it all knowing that so many people would suffer she always came back to me she's a very wise woman was like that means that the relationship with god must be that great that it outweighs all that suffering
1: because otherwise, Ooh, good I was like, answer.
0: Yeah, I know. I was like, Damn.
1: Because yeah, I was like, Otherwise,
0: keep it net neutral. Like, never make humans at all. No one would have suffered. Would that not be zero? Is inherently better than like some people being happy and some people like having a horrible life. So, yeah, that was her answer. And I've always kind of sat with that. But like, even then, it just doesn't really resonate with me that some people still have to suffer in this world for that. Yeah. I mean, all I can say is I agree. I mean, I
1: think I kind of go to a long game, which is super frustrating when you're a person on the planet. But like, what if this is only a piece of it, right? And we have earthly suffering and then there's this eternal not suffering. But then I get to sort of pick and choose on that, right, too, right? I think I believe in paradise, of some sort, Mm. but I don't really believe in hell. So then really do I get to pick and choose? Yeah. And so I, I mean, I, I think there's fair criticisms of the way I think for sure. I mean, I guess I want to say just like in human relationships, we have to weigh, does the good outweigh the bad, which is kind of what your professor said, but in a much more smart way, (laughs) but um, weighing it all, do you wish to participate in a relationship with God? And everybody has to decide on their own and there's no way anybody can convince you. It has to be just like so. nobody can convince you to be in love with somebody. At some point you go, yeah, my experience of what they are and what I am in relationship with them is what I want. And even the negative stuff I will put up with because I want the positive stuff. And I think that's, at the end of the day, what has to happen with faith. And I think the reason adults often fall away and never come back is the negative starts piling up and the only positive they have is their childhood experience of God. And of course, a childhood experience of God is not going to answer the question of why did my mom die and why am I in prison and and why have I been abused? And so that's the frustration is that you want to say there's actually an adult version of God to be explored. And most of us don't know how to access that. Or we do, and it looks like yoga or alcohol or whatever, but we are we are looking for something and we don't have the language or the, Christ- the not even Christian education, the faith-based education to get us over that hump.
0: Mm-hmm. Bringing us back to your concept earlier of how people are in contact with the divine. So you put yoga and alcohol almost like at equal values in that sort of setup of your sentence structure, if that's what you meant, suggesting that yoga is not a way to reach the divine.
1: Yeah, thank you. I, as soon as I said it, I was like, you're not being helpful. I think as <laughs> as we're looking for transcendence or relief mm-hmm. or even purpose, mm. uh, sometimes self-medication is trying to do that in an unhelpful way and other means Are helpful ways, but I don't wish to judge what those are. Mm. However, we know medically there are things that deteriorate us after a while. And I'm not saying don't drink at all. I'm just saying clearly we know people who have used self medicating drugs, alcohol, pornography, work, sex to fill a void on their way to trying to find something that maybe divine could fill. Maybe. Mm.
0: And if things like psychedelics are what make people feel connected to the divine would you say that's in contact to the god that you know you know i have so little experience
1: with the psychedelic world that i don't really want to comment mm. um or even marijuana i would say maybe i mean you know i would say it seems like right reports would say yeah um and i guess what i assume chemicals do is remove a barrier and I could be wrong about that. That's why I don't know enough about any of this stuff to sort of say. But in my mind, marijuana, psychedelics, alcohol sometimes are removing a barrier, flattening the, the the road, making straight the path so that people can get there quicker. But I also don't want to romanticize drugs or alcohol to say, oh, that's the way to God. But I think as we're trying to feel better and transcend this experience, I think sometimes people are using that uh, and again i I don't want to say a whole lot because I don't have a lot of experience with it, and so I don't want to say, "Oh, that's bad or that's good i I don't know
0: yeah. I guess I'm just curious if we believe in the same sort of God and energy and what concepts are because when you were talking about people finding it in different faiths, granted you talked about faith structures, someone who's you know Jewish or other things might be connected to God, but Equally, I would say personally that if I do believe in a concept of a higher power that created all of this, the times that I feel most connected to it are when I'm doing yoga, Mm -hmm. are when I smoke weed, and when I have meditation and pray and think about the grander structures of life. And so if, if there is a divine person, then I'm in connection with whoever that is during those times. And so I'm curious if that Because you were talking about it as filling a hole, which typically is talked about as like things that are like when Christians or people of faith talk about that like language, they're usually saying that are like trying to replace the space where God actually fits. So I'm just curious if what I'm thinking of the divine is what you think of the divine. And if not, why not? You know? I mean, my first
1: answer is it sounds like, yes, Hmm. you you are. It feels like my language is failing the conversation Mm -hmm. more than yours is. I would say it's a product of my education and my worldview, right? Interesting. Um, that I keep talking in ways that I feel are very expansive and very universal, and you're like, nah, no, you're kind of missing it." And so, I think it's I think it's my structuring more than your question. I guess I want to say to you, what do you think is happening? And I don't mean actually, is this God at work? Cause so don't think of it that way. What do you think is happening when you reach that plateau or that space? While you know using marijuana, or while in yoga, like what what brings that kind of level of peace
0: or connectivity or flow? Mm. I think. Different things will do it. I think it's probably mostly mindfulness. So when I am doing yoga, I'm in an active movement of connecting with my body and being present in the moment and being grateful for the things that I do have, which is frequently my breath, right? So inhale, exhale. And that level of thankfulness for my existence makes me feel connected to a goodness in humanity and life and frequently marijuana actually has heightened a lot of my anxiety and so learning to actually but equally at the same time allows this creativity and playfulness that I can kind of comfort myself or I've learned to and to let myself flow and be creative and in those moments probably engage with a creative sense of the you know god that enjoys play and just being yourself but And I think those are beautiful things in different headspace and, you know, one with a substance, one without. And both of those moments, I come back to a piece of happiness and specifically with psychedelics when I have done them and been. There's just this moment where I would just sit and feel completely at ease with where I am at in the world and what I'm doing and that level of peace that is so deeply profound, which I do feel sometimes in yoga or in other moments when I'm assessing the beauty of a tree, I would all say that's god if there is one
1: i think we're in total agreement about that like complete
0: agreement about that and i guess i want to say
1: what might make me a sort of a surprising religious leader is i don't think you have to call it god yeah in my mind it might be and if it is god is not saying yo give me credit god is just saying yeah all of this
0: exactly
1: um i'd like to Talk about a piece of what you just said that moves us back to sort of sexuality and gender. So you said in yoga, I would say also probably as we exercise, walk around in nature, you talked about sort of being connected to your body. Mm -hmm. And in that sort of mindfulness of connection with body is where you feel a connectivity to something peaceful and other. I think that's a really important concept that Christianity Utterly misses yeah. because the body is supposed to be evil. And that's yes. Paul, not Jesus. The body is supposed to be evil. And I think that the queer community, mm-hmm. all versions of that, right? The LGBTQ community, the non-binary, the poly, everything, every mm-hmm. every bit of that community has such a gift to give to communities of faith because we have had to come to terms with our body.
0: Yeah. In
1: a way, whatever way that is, right? And an asexual person is going to have a different relationship with their body than somebody that is, uh, I don't even know what I want to call it, right? A, a ethical slut. I mean, like there's different ways that our body moves, but coming to terms with that, first of all, is super important and sacred and beautiful and so sexy and fabulous. But integrating that knowledge and that confidence into a person that is also trying to have a, sexu- a spiritual being, however that is. To me, you integrate those two things and you have a rock star of a person right. who is really evolved to who they're supposed to be. Right. And so in my mind, once we opened up religious institutions to queer acceptance, but then also leadership, now we're moving into something really important. Because LGBTQ people have had to wrestle and come to terms with and looked at themselves really clearly. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we have a gift to give to a repressed, sad, dysfunctional religious institution. Yes. I think that's a key piece of why people like I am moving up, because it's time for that. I mean, it was time for that conversation 20, 30, 40 years ago. But finally, here we are. And I wish we could have in our churches a conversation about the theology or the philosophy of sex and body to say, what, what are we thinking? And, you know, your first question is the right one. What do we think? Or what do we think God is? Cause yeah. you have to start with that exactly. foundation. Mm-hmm. So when you make God this gooey, loving, you know, uh, embracing, luscious thing. Of course, our idea of what a human body is falls in line with that. And when you make God the angry warrior, blood everywhere, do as I say, or I'll kill you, of course, how we feel about a body is utterly
0: defined by that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think God's message is about sex and queerness then? Um hello, it was my best idea. I
1: mean, I think, I mean, but you know, I think when God says, look at all these amazing ways that you can connect Mm -hmm. and look at all these people who thought that they were marginalized or weird or not right or different, and they suffered and suffered and suffered. And then God said, guess what? I'm going to bring you lovers and I'm going to bring you groups that get you and see you and want to be near you and touch you and, you know, everything. And I think clearly it's true, right? There's not one non-binary person in the planet kind of going, wow, I'm this freak that nobody loves. There's people who go, come toward me. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's what God thinks about the diversity. And as we find more definitions and non-definitions, undefinable, I think God is like, now we're talking. It's like saying the only fruit is an apple or a, a banana, and I guess I'm being more, you know, phallic <laughs> yeah, than I, I want to be. But you know what I mean? Like God was like, "There's not just apples and bananas. I've mm-hmm. got gajillions of delicious things for you to try, and they were all my good idea. So I think God is, if I can, you know, decide what God is thinking. But I think God is like, yeah thanks for noticing. I want all of these beautiful creations to come out and be celebrated and cared for and loved and protected and flourish. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a terrible, terrible disservice when the church goes, "Yikes, yikes, we can't we can't have these things obviously this is this is sort of my Ballywick or my you know world, but
0: I think that's a really important piece of what we can get right as as faith communities, right. And I think you're in a unique perspective to be speaking about these things because it is something that you have walked the actual journey of, right? I mean, I can't even imagine. I think one of the questions I wanted to ask you originally was that first person that you dated for 12 years, how did you even know you had feelings for this person that were beyond platonic interest, given that the societal thinking had completely blocked that as an option for you
1: yeah that's a great question i'm going to say it's along the same lines as why did i think that god still loved me when i was coming out as gay even that. i think that there is a i think for any of us we would say attraction just is right you can't you can't decide who you love or who you're drawn to and because i had not had any sexual partners before this woman It wasn't like I could compare and say, oh, well, yeah, this is this and this is, you know, compared to the all the men that I'd been with and mm, it's comparable. So, but I think I, I was mature enough and old enough and self-aware enough and honestly self-confident enough that I thought, yeah, this is attraction. This is what I want. I'm going to go for it. And I think that's, I imagine that's a common sort of experimentation or, you know, opening move for most of us. We go, something's happening. Do I act upon it? Do Mm -hmm. I explore this? Do I draw my body closer to this person? Do I kiss them? Do I hug them? Do I get naked with them? Mm -hmm. I think we've got those choices happening if we're in, you know, safe, mutually uh, pleasurable or mutual consenting places. And then we explore it. So I think, to be honest, at the time, I thought, God, I'm going to do this. I remember sort of praying, I want to do this and I can't talk to you about it. Mm. I think that's what it was. It was like, God, I, I, I want to do this. I want to be with this person. This is positive and loving and beneficial in appropriate ways. Like, this is a good thing. And I don't know how to make sense of that with what I believe I'm supposed to do as a Christian person. So I'm going to put you on hold, God, and I'm going to go explore this. And if I and I remember saying, and if it's a sin, I'm sorry. Hmm. But how is this a sin? Which was a pretty bizarre place to get as a conservative Christian. But I was like, how is this a sin? And so I think my only regret was that I said to God, I'll talk to you about it later. Because I now believe that God was like, hello, I'm right here. And I'm not mad. I'd actually wish that you were talking to me about it because I want to tell you you're great. And this relationship is what I want. I mean, I don't know if it's what God wanted, but like, you know, I love you. And this I care for the two of you and anybody in your circle. Yeah. And so I kind of wish that I hadn't excluded God from that, but I didn't have the language or the concept that it would be something that I could uh, that I could bring God into. Of course. And so in my line of work, I certainly coach and support LGBTQ people as they move into ministry. And this piece, this integration of all of you. Is, a, is an invitation that generally most of them have already accepted. But if they haven't, like, you know, you can talk to God about your boyfriend too, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes people are like, really? Well, mm. yeah, because God's already here and knows about it and wants to share it with you. This language is going to be limited, but like in the best version of parenting, right? In like the best version of it, your parents would like to know and be supportive and, and help and love you. That doesn't always happen. And the language is too limited to put that on God, but like the best version of relationship with God is like the best version of a human relationship that's honest and transparent and vulnerable and supportive. And so it was around that kind of thinking. And then at some point, I actually read a book, it's Stranger at the, Ta- Stranger at the Table, I think it's called, and uh, which is a book that's now, what, 40 years old or something. But Mel White was a conservative Christian pastor married to a woman, had children, and knew he was gay, mm. and had this really painful underground life of being a gay man. And somehow, at some point, he realized he couldn't be in the closet anymore, and he couldn't have this underground life. And he came out to his wife, and he came out to himself, and it was super painful, but then he became integrated Christian out gay man. Mm. And as I read that book, I thought, you know, God doesn't love me in spite of the fact I'm gay. God loves me because I'm gay. God made me gay. And that was a really key moment of like, this is not something to be ashamed of. This is something to be like, oh, this was always part of the plan. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't happen overnight, especially raised in a conservative place. But like, yeah, do we believe that God loves us or do we not? And the frustrating angry part is that religion
0: sometimes wants to tell us that God actually doesn't love us. I guess I'm jealous of your experience to some degree, because I feel like personally, from my understanding of queerness, like, I would have never understood that what I was feeling was attraction towards other women. And so and I come to understand that as based on the societal frame that I was put in within Christian culture. And so I now being where I'm at, it's so abundantly clear. But at the time, I never had an inkling that this was something for me. And so I, I just, my heart aches for a lot of people who might be coming from that same background of being very confused now of like, now that they've allowed this more in society and culture, but they never felt it as a kid and like just that disconnect between yourself and how could you be so self-effacing that I'm jealous that you were like, yeah, I know. And I know this is what I do so much so that I'm actually going to stand up to God and do it like that is yeah. That is a very strong connection. And I don't know why. And I
1: and I'm thinking of my favorite story of the first time I realized I was attracted to a woman was in high school, all good, happy, faithful Christian girls. And I was hanging out with a bunch of them one night and we were, I and another woman were in the backseat of a car mm-hmm. laughing. All mm. we were, I mean, you know, we were doing whatever we were doing and it was a bunch of people. So it wasn't like it was the two of us out alone together, but we were laughing and having fun. And I had this overwhelming sense that I wanted to kiss her. And here's the miracle, you know, right? I have so many parts of my story that are like, and then this amazing thing happened because I wasn't freaked out by it. Mm. I went, oh, that's so funny. That's so strange. I would have liked to have kissed her. Isn't that fun? And I didn't do it. Yeah. And I didn't, but I didn't have like hatred and shame and like, oh my God, I'm going to hell. Instead, I kind of went, there's so much like energy and fun to that and didn't act on it. And frankly, didn't kiss a woman for another eight, eight years, maybe, but six years. But that idea that this could be a happy, joyful thing. I don't know why that was my first thought. Hmm.
0: Because I agree with
1: you. I should have been like, oh, my God, I need to lock myself in my room and never come out. Right. And maybe I just sort of discounted it as, oh, that was a fleeting thing. It's fine. And didn't worry about it. But I look back on that story now and I love it because it's so like fun and energetic. And I was like, wow, are you lucky? Are you lucky you didn't act on it and get hit and get mocked and teased? Because, you know, I was in a Christian high school and there were a couple of queer women and people... Oh, my God, they were merciless, mm, right? Yeah. So, of course, there were many, many, many more queer women than the ones I'm thinking of, but they were the ones that we were, you know, had already sort of experimented a bit and had gotten busted for it. But, yeah. So, I hear you, though. I, I wish I could say, ah, well, this is how I, I made that yeah. leap. It was
0: just sort of in me, and I'm so grateful. So right. Grateful. and. It's interesting too because you talked about how at the time and in between these periods you would still date men. Mm-hmm. Do you identify as a bisexual woman? You know, yeah, probably. Okay. Actually,
1: I would say, <laughs> I would say now, uh, yes, I would say I probably would would relate as as bisexual. I wonder sometimes if if I got to start over now, as opposed to in 1975 or whenever I was, you know, mm-hmm. coming of age would I actually even identify as pansexual? I don't know. But yeah, probably bisexual and only been with women for the last, gosh, 30 years. So, you know, so you go, well, is that is that bisexual? Or is that, you know, hist- uh, evidence would prove, you know, something else. Yeah. So hard to say. But I've been also in long-term monogamous relationships with women. Could I imagine being in a long-term monogamous relationship with a man? I I don't
0: know. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I'm coming from my perspective here of your story. And that's the only way we can really ever talk to anybody in this world. But how much of that is just societal thinking? Because that is what you were raised in. That's what I was raised in. And it's such an internalized potential level of homophobia that I have already normalized the baseline feelings of what I feel with a male person that like I accept that as attraction because I was told and brainwashed. And so, yeah, that always kind of freaks me out. And so I just wondered – here and asking this question if it ever bothers you that potential of like how much society has affect us that we don't even know oh yeah oh yeah like, uh.
1: that's, that's why i say like if i could start over would exactly. i actually be pansexual would yeah. i actually identify a little bit differently mm-hmm. on the gender spectrum maybe mhm and that doesn't actually freak me out i just kind of go wow what if i got to you know be in a time machine and do it differently would i identify in a different way Maybe. I will say it's been interesting to be elected bishop because I'm the first openly lesbian bishop in my denomination. I don't really identify as lesbian. I identify more as queer. Okay, But the lesbian community needs a standard bearer. And I'm totally happy to do that because it is true. You know, and that was early on. People in the queer community said to me, are you going to identify as a queer bishop or as a lesbian bishop? And I was like, I will use lesbian as needed because it's accurate. So I'm not lying. But queer seemed more amorphous than I needed for that community. And I hope that doesn't sound, I don't know, disingenuous because it is true. You know, I am an out lesbian. And in many ways, I identify as queer, but I'm happy to be using this uh,
0: identifier. Yeah. Well, then I would like to know a little bit more because now we have queer, lesbian and bisexual as three identities. Not that any of them are inherently you know contradictory, but I'm just kind of curious how how do you wrap your mind around identifying with all of those? Well, and
1: that's why I think probably queer is better for
0: me okay. because
1: I would say my experiences with men felt honest and gen- and genuine and true. Mm-hmm. So is that a journey to lesbianism, or is that bisexuality? But now, when I think about how do I wish to identify as this person in this time? it's probably closer to lesbian or queer than bisexual and maybe that's just all parsing stuff that doesn't need to be parsed right but like when i think to myself oh should i be out as the first openly bisexual bishop no that doesn't feel right either you know
0: right yeah yeah right because you are in a female on female relationship lesbian relationship that is right? surely the title that you can take um yeah. i i guess it's yeah it's just interesting that one, labels are interesting in, in and of themselves, right. right? I mean, how how much do we ever actually fit into these boxes? And I think that's why I identify with the word, word queer as well, right? Because it does fluctuate and shift. But equally, all we have is language. So it's important yeah. to ask of like, yeah, what does it mean for you to be in all of these different spaces at once?
1: Yeah. And because I'm a ambassador on some levels to a wider church yeah. expression, I'll give it to them in smaller doses if we need to, you know, mm. that kind of thing. Also, my denomination elected a transgender bishop 2 weeks before me. Amazing. And it was amazing and they are going to have to do they are doing some of that education around that mm-hmm. queerness, that gender expression, maybe also in relationship to that person I wish to sort of say I'm I'm good clarifying in this way, you know. I'm probably not quite as cis as I could be, and I'm happy with that, but, like, I don't know that that needs to be part of the national conversation, except except for, yeah, right? We're all on the spectrum, so I'm willing to have that conversation and explore it, you know, as makes sense publicly, but... But I don't even know what that means. I just kind of go. I've never really understood what it meant to be a female. So, is that again? Is that just the way I was raised and and my cultural norms, or is there really something in me that goes? Certainly, certainly respond to sort of the feminine vibe and the caring and the estrogen connectivity. Mm-hmm. Does that make me a girl? I
0: don't know. You know, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because you said not as cis as you could be. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear even what that means for you and how you're navigating this.
1: Well, just like the beginning of the conversation, we sort of said, we only know our own experience. We only know our own church experience. I only know my own gender expression. And when I was younger and sort of didn't have boyfriends and never, ever had, never, ever went to a wedding with a guy. Like, I, you know, everybody always coupled up to go to weddings and I never did. And I thought, is this, later I thought, is that because I'm lesbian? Is that because... I'm not fully female. like mm. i I don't know. And I didn't spend a whole lot time struggling with it because it, it didn't upset me, but I thought, yeah, what what vibe did I get out in the world? Thank God, I never had sexual harassment to a large degree. And mm-hmm. I thought, is that because I wasn't really given off a femme vibe? I mean, I was a bit of a tomboy, but I wasn't like ridiculously so. I mean, I don't mean to say ridiculously so, but by but sort of by standards that people go, oh, tomboy. I wasn't really that. I didn't really wear masculine clothes or anything like that. But I don't know what it is to be female or male, Right? I don't think. But when I think about The gifts I bring to my job and to my friends, there is a nurturing, there is a connectivity, there is a mothering, maybe, Mm -hmm. I don't even know if I'd call it mothering, but a warmth and a feeding and caring for type thing that society generally says is female. But I would wonder more about estrogen-based. And since estrogen is this chemical that makes us draw towards each other and care for each other and keep babies living and all that kind of thing. So I wonder more about that. And I think, yeah, that's real in me. So is that feminine? I don't know. And so I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what it means to be female. And is that because I'm not
0: completely or just, I don't buy society's description I don't know. Right, exactly. Because what does it even mean to be a female? I think anything that we try to pull at has limitations when you really look at its limits. Right? Of is it genitalia? Is it hormones? Is it you know a personality structure? Is it physical appearance? It right. At that point,
1: because, yeah, because as I move into this new role as bishop and I see myself constantly strengthening and becoming more sure of who I am, am I more female or less female as I become sort of a more powerful person? And I think more female, maybe. maybe, Right. But I, I mean, because I think, well, what are your strengths? And if my strengths have got some estrogen to it, pour it on. Like, let's do this. But to me, estrogen doesn't make you cry. It makes you save your children, you know? And so that's not about genitalia. That's about survival and strength that any female mammal had, right? To sort of protect and feed and nurture and build the home and fight off the enemy.
0: Right. Whatever concept of God you have, the creative God would have created such a diverse experience of multiple ways in humans for everybody to interact. And I think that society as a whole will get better as we learn to take bigger steps away from these rigid concepts of what it means to be a female or what it means to be a male. And non-binary is now something that's coming into our common lexicon, which I think is going to change how we understand the world. It's exciting. I mean, it's a great time. It's a
1: great time to be looking at this stuff. And I feel enormous privilege that I live in a place in the country and in a church that is trying, right, is trying to celebrate the non-binary as opposed to hating and trying to quash the non-binary. Now, I want to say that very cautiously. Not everybody in my denomination, not every congregation in my denomination is any good at this, but generally we would like to be. And so, yeah, I always want to say, be careful. Like people go, oh, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which is the denomination that I'm in, they're so progressive and they're so gay friendly. Eh, you got to check. You got to see if it, because it's not across the board. And so right. you got to check with your denomination and, I mean, with your congregation and your pastor and your leadership, is it safe or not?
0: And I wish I could say absolutely, but I can't,
1: I can't promise that.
0: How does it feel to be a leader in such a minority space? What do you mean by minority
1: space? That we're a progressive church or within my own denomination, I'm a minority?
0: Within your denomination and within the world, uh, how frequently do you get people that are within that church structure that are in a lesbian relationship leading? Not a lot.
1: I Not would, a lot. Yeah, I would call that a
0: minority group in and of itself. To- totally, yes. I mean, and let me be clear:
1: within the denomination itself, the openly LGBTQ people who are ordained is also a tiny group of people. Yeah, yeah I mean, it gets smaller and smaller. I'm part right. of I'm part of Proclaim, which is a professional network of LGBTQ ELCA pastors and seminarians and deacons. And so you're like, could it be a smaller subgroup? I mean, it's yeah. this, how many people this are in that? About 330. And so, wow. I mean, it's all right, but it's bigger than it used to be. I mean, I started when there was about 70. And so, wow. um, again, I have an enormous privilege. I'm part of a synod who has, which is our, like a diocese, our synod elected me. I'm the second person back to back that identifies as LGBTQ that was elected as bishop. So this place can support it, whether or not they completely understand it, they can accept it. Mm -hmm. So that's privilege. So like, I'm not getting hate mail every day, right? I'm not getting people screaming at me on the street every day. It happens, but it's not all the time. And it may happen now more now that I'm in a more public space. So I have a lot of privilege in that. I just think that I'm called to this time. I Mm -hmm. think that because I want the church to be more inclusive, but I also want to heal the world's ills. So yeah there's some gender and sexual sexuality justice to be calling for but there's just justice to be calling for and i think part of the reason that i'm here in this space is not just just to make it safer for the bipoc non binary kid i would love to do that but i also want to just make the world better for the kid right who doesn't have enough to eat and whose mom works four jobs and you know there's there's many needs. And we need to be thinking about more than our self-serving pieces. Mm. And now you're not you're not suggesting that. But I think what it is to be a person in this moment in time is enormous privilege and enormous responsibility. Right. And so I'm not here to be self-promoting or self-serving. I'm here to say my experience has prepared me for this. And now what?
0: which sounds like it was a incredibly difficult experience and you're carrying the weight of knowing the position that you're in. I mean granted yes you're you're trying to keep this positive on it but I also like want to see the level of probably oppression that you personally went through to get to this space.
1: Yeah, and I would say most of the oppression was from my childhood or my young adult life as a person who thought they couldn't be a Christian and be right. out. So that's real. Yeah. And when I decided to go to seminary, I wasn't sure that I was going to be an ELCA pastor because the ELCA wasn't ordaining openly gay and lesbian people when I started seminary. And so I thought, wow, what am I going to do? I felt a deep call to serve God and God's people in a church structure, maybe. But I thought, well, I'll figure it out. And my pastor at the time said to me, go to seminary, get started. And by the time you're done, we as the ELCA will be ordaining openly gay people. And she was right. It's a little bit of a roll of the dice, but she was right. So that happened. The oppression was more in that structure before it let me in. And then once it let me in, it's been pretty good. And I've been really grateful for that because it was terribly hard for people that either were already pastors and couldn't come out. Or came out and lost their job. Or even now, there are plenty of places in the country where our LGBTQ pastors or seminarians can't get work because nobody everybody goes, where are we going to put them? There's nobody that's going to want them. Yeah. And so we're still, there's still plenty of work to do. Just like anybody, just like women who got into STEM work or African-Americans who got into Congress or any of that stuff. Part of the way, you know, Jackie Robinson with baseball, part of the way that we break through is just being excellent at what we do. And of course, they always say you've got to do be twice as good at something. OK, some of us are prepared to to do that until we're exhausted. But, you know, some of us are prepared to just be good. Like, I just want to be a good bishop. And then hopefully in being a good bishop, people will go, well, wow. and she happens to be lesbian. OK. I've learned something about lesbians today, you know, and I mean, that's the goal that takes a lot of self-motivation and and support and um, relationships and community and accountability and all that stuff, because I can't be a
0: superhero, but I can be committed to being excellent. Which makes you an incredibly strong person.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, and I think that I've been preparing for a long time for this. I mean, I was not always confident, and I was not, not always sure of myself, and I was certainly not somebody who'd ever confront anything. And as I'm aging, that's
0: coming. That's coming along. What do you think has brought it along?
1: A lot of suffering, a lot of pain in my personal life as family situations have evolved, or we've been challenged mm-hmm. with things and surviving it. And I think yeah. that's really what a strong person is, is a survivor mm-hmm. um, who's come through a difficult thing and has been changed by it and maybe less good. Like um, there's a part of me that goes, oh, I am, I am hurt. I am damaged by the stories of my life. Some of them have to do with sexuality. Some of them have to do with just other things. Right. Like I am, there's a part of me that says, I am less than I used to be. Mm. And then with that awareness of my injury or my uh, abuse or my pain, From that comes a new strength because I go, yeah, so I'm not as as all that as I thought I was. Life got in the way and I'm still here and I'm still producing and I'm still persevering. Therefore, even though on some levels I am injured and less than I used to be, I am now more than Mm -hmm. I used to be because I have an honest assessment of who I am and I got up and kept going. And so I think it's... Than that. I think when bad things happen and you come back from them, or when you take a new path, you have to stop and ratchet up your self assessment and say, Oh, I'm not a loser. I actually had a painful thing happen and came out of it. So I have to up my game a little bit. I can't believe that I'm on the bottom of the hole anymore because I'm not, and kind of keep ratcheting that up. I believe that a good spiritual life can help that as we integrate in health and wholeness and right. mindfulness right. Uh, that's to me is the best version of it the paradigm of or the paradox of a of a religious or a spiritual life let's say spiritual life because it really is about mindfulness is this weird balance of confidence and humility yeah right and so i i consider and go oh, i'm i'm operating on more cylinders than i used to. Mm-hmm. But I can't believe my own press, right? So I've got to also say – Oh, for sure. Yeah, humility, humility, humility. If it's it's not me, it's God in me. It's my community lifting me up. It's a
0: yeah. still small voice that gave me a good idea. It's that. Exactly, which is why I love this podcast because then I get to come in and be like, you stay humble. I'm going to tell you how amazing you are because – this journey is not easy and just Mm -hmm. for you to keep the level of composure and to know the weight of what the identity that you're taking up in this space and how you could change society that's a lot of weight to carry on just you and so I come here to say that is amazing and I don't want you to be humble for just you know a small moment here and just celebrate the beauty and the strength that is you.
1: Yeah. And I think, but I think the relatable piece, the part where anybody can, but the part where anybody could plug into this is everything that's happened to me up to this point has brought me to this moment. Right. I mean, from my, from my parents' divorce when I was 18 to the end of my first relationship that was devastating to my new marriage, to, which is not so new anymore, to the adoption of our adult son, to, uh, my work in television production, um, all of this now to be to be in the LGBTQ movement in the moment that I got into it, right, which was way past all of the super hard Stonewall yeah. uh, protest stuff. Uh, it kind of became okay to be queer, and then and then it wasn't, and then it was, you know. And so where where we are at this very moment is super privileged and
0: participates or contributes to how I get to move in the world. Surely. I mean, currently where we're at, it is the best time and it is also hopefully the worst time, mm. right? And so we always want to hold that duality that, yes, we've come so far. And as we continue to progress, where we're at right now will be the worst that it ever is all at once. Yeah. And so holding that weight, I think is it, it's the same dance of the understanding of your strengths and the understanding of your humility of like we're holding both that this is great and it's also the worst and how can we hold the duality of yeah. both
1: yeah because then you can have reality and hope exactly right? exactly i mean as devastating as 2020 was on every level but like in the middle of the george floyd protests when it was ter- and then you know Dante wright gets killed i mean like, like another like another thing happened And we're just so heartbroken about how bad race is in America. Mm -hmm. At about that same time, CNN came out with their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s series where they sort of talked about all the stuff, like a documentary on 60s. And it was so good to see all of the racial tension of the 60s and say, oh, yeah, like we've been here before and it's better and different. I mean, I love what you're saying that let's have this be the worst that it ever is moving forward. But don't panic like suddenly it's gotten terrible in America. No,
0: it's been bad before and always and still now what? Exactly. Now Now what? And then there's people like you doing the work. And so I sometimes I like to have like the ends of my talks be about like how we can invite people to do that level of work as well. I ask, I'm asking myself and both of us, what do we say? Like, what is the now what? How do you move? I I would say with compassion, whatever your faith denomination be, but to Mm -hmm. think about these ideas on a bigger scale and really question who is God, because that should shape all of this. Because what you're saying is really just in direct opposition to mainstream Christian culture, who would say that our world has gotten worse and is in a bad state because we're away from family values.
1: Look, I think the world is in a terrible state. Yeah. But um, I'm going to tell a Christian story. And I don't think I've told this one yet. But um, So one of the stories of Jesus is his best friend or you know, his cousin John the Baptist has just been murdered. And Jesus is completely freaked out and says to his disciples, we got to get away from it all. Let's go to a deserted place and get our act back together and grieve and hide. And, and I mean, it, not all of that's in the Bible. But basically, Jesus is like, we got to get away from here. And he gets in the boat with his disciples and all of the people that want Jesus to heal them and talk to them and love them, chase him, like run on the shore to meet him on the other side. And Jesus comes out of the boat and says, oh, I love them and heals them and cares for them. And then he goes to another place and everybody runs to the town to meet him. That. Need that desperation that the world has to please help us matters. And I think that's, um, that's what's happening right now. And so, yeah, we can say, God, the world is a mess. Nobody can say it's not, right? We are so upset and freaked out and don't have enough and hate each other. That feels like the crowd that is running for some healing. It can be people of faith, but it should be at least people helping people. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of go, how can you be a person of faith or compassion or mindfulness and say, yeah, not me. I'm out. Like, how can you do that? You've got to look out and say all of these cries for help that look like gun violence and drug addiction and hitting each other and racial tension, right? All of it. Horror show is not just like, ah, we're done. No, it's it's not, you know, it's not the Hunger Games. It's, you know, the Hunger Games is because people were hungry, right? (laughs) Like we need, we need to understand that people need something. And so we do not have to, we do not have to solve all of the world's problems, but neither can we abandon them, right? Like, so the call to action to me is figure out that one thing Mm -hmm. that you can do. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be saving the planet. It might be helping the woman across the street, bring her garbage cans in. And you kind of go, well, that's just a small effect. Well, that's how it starts. And so, and then add to it, how can our queerness affect that? Well, our queerness, which welcomes diversity and surprise and passion. So if that's sort of part of who you are, and that's what makes you fabulous, how does that now meet the world's need? And I don't know, right? Everybody has to answer that on their own. But what thing have you been designed to do? And and a lot of us in despair or in self-hatred or in abuse say, I got nothing. Mm. It's just not true, right? There is something. Mm -hmm. And so to find that thing. And so to me, maybe the first step is just to ask the question, what is that thing that I have? What's that spark that only I have? Exactly, and go, and go from there.
0: Yeah, and then lean into that. I mean, that's finding authenticity. That's living mm. a full life of connecting to yourself, and it's taking away all of the layers of societal thinking to actually sit with yourself enough so to figure out what those things are. You know, for the person who doesn't know that they're queer, someone like myself, you know, mm-hmm. it takes time alone, and you know, maybe met from your perspective, meditation with God and really listening to who you are to find that and then trusting our innate, I would like to say, gut, Mm -hmm. the thing that told you that you were interested in that woman, leaning into that, you know, because at those moments, I would say that's when, you know, the God energy, whatever is communicating with you when you feel that visceral response. So here, I totally agree. Yeah. The
1: terrible crime about some Christianity is that it told us, if you spend that much time focusing on yourself, you are a selfish jerk. Yes. Right? And so now you're like, I can't think about myself this much. I'm such a sinner. Why am I so inward focused? And I think that God screams and says, I made you. I want you to know who you are because Mm. you're awesome. And please stop. Hating yourself and thinking that you don't deserve attention and affection and a nice piece of chocolate and a warm lover. Like why? Why did we why why do you think that you can't have those things,
0: right? Because the sin is fleshful. Or, or, yeah. uh, sorry, uh-huh. the flesh is sinful. And so when we're fleshful. These, yeah, <laughs> exactly. When we have these desires, we're supposed to negate them. And I God, the amount of times I heard that in a Sunday message right, was right. that I need to let go of my desires because those are of the world world and listen to God and not be in connection to myself. The disconnect to the self being one of the biggest levels of spiritual abuse that people have and how difficult it is to live a life once you come out not even knowing how to communicate with yourself and what your desires are because you've negated them for whatever amount of X years.
1: Yeah. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking.
0: And, you know, if you spend any time reading about any of the mystics,
1: any of our early saints, and you think, oh, they were selfless, they were desert mothers, and they lived out by themselves, and they totally poured themselves out, that's not really true. They spent all that time in reflection so they understood who they were truly maybe in relationship to something spiritual or not. But we all we all have this like false narrative that people gave up themselves. Like, do we think that Jesus was selfless? I think he was the most self-aware person, you know, as was Buddha, as was Muhammad. These are people that like really knew who they were as opposed to I've poured myself out and I'm nothing. You know, they were completely self-realized. So I think that's, the work that we're invited to do.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very powerful point that I want to just reemphasize that concept of Jesus being and all these other leaders being people who really understood themselves versus people who poured themselves out because Jesus went alone to have meditation mm-hmm. frequently away from the group and was like, this is what I need, not give, 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 give. He and his, you know, man state, whatever, was able to understand that he needed something and it was alone time, you know? Mm-hmm. And just like, even just that idea alone, if we could change the mainstream culture of religion and people's understandings of their connection to self, I think we could have a better society. Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always ask people as one of my last questions just is, what is one thing you wish other people knew was more normal? They, right? I have so many answers. I know. <laughs> you know what? Real doubt
1: Real, like, I don't feel good. I don't feel connected. I think real doubt, that real dryness is is to be loved and cared for and be curious about it as opposed to hating yourself for it. Because life is hard, right? Super hard and super confusing and disappointing and so as life comes your way and you're like wow this is not what i signed up for and i'm pretty sure it's not what god promised that's that's real and should not be something that you're
0: ashamed of as much as it's something you're honest about hmm. so would you say it's allowing space for grief of <sighs> expectations yeah
1: yeah i think you have to spend time in that grief and that disillusion and that doubt so that you are open in a new and unexpected
0: way. You cannot plan for it. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Unless you have more to say. I Sometimes I could bounce more ideas off of you, but like equally that it was a very powerful statement that I think could close on its own as being a strong message of love and allowing space for our emotions and our mental health. Yeah, good. good. Okay, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming and you- Brought such a vulnerability, and let me debate with you a little bit. Which is oh my god, like Nicole! You made me, me work so you made me work so hard. <laughs> oh, I I just it's my philosophy, mind. I just I want to probe it.
1: <laughs> all well, day I, long. Yeah, and I know that I don't always have an, a satisfying answer, but yeah. I'm I'm pretty comfortable with
0: going like, yeah, I don't have an answer on that one. Which understand? is a beautiful, yes, exactly, yeah. a beautiful yeah. place to be. Is there any? I know this might be a weirder thing. Usually, I ask people if there's like a website they want to plug their information for. If you don't have one, maybe like a mission or a fun foundation you're passionate about,
1: something. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the process of creating some of this stuff, right? I mean, I will be, uh, yeah, because I was going to say my Twitter handle is BKBoss, B O S, but I don't, but it's, you know, when I get it more active, it's not super active right now. And I'm on Facebook. Bishop Brenda Boss is probably the one that's going to be more interesting for people. Right now it's Bishop Elect Brenda Boss, but it will be Bishop Brenda Boss by September. You know, I will give you one other uh, handle Uh, Instagram, Queerfully and Wonderfully Made is a queer space. uh, They call it sort of Jesus flavored, but it's really about what we're talking about here. It's the celebration of the whole spectrum of sexuality and gender and trying to find a way for spiritual and artistic healing not necessarily christian but like this integration of soul and body queer body Uh, although that's not my space it's one that i adore and i'm super proud of and uh, super proud to be a part of
0: yes that's a great recommendation i'll have it all linked below for people to follow it so yeah If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Yor Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.